0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this picture that we've just sang of a walk and a belief in you where nothing shakes us, where the worldliness does not remove us or or cause our faith to stumble, where fear of tribulation or trial does not buckle our knees, but Lord, we move forward with eyes firmly fixed on you, staying faithful to you and your commands. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bring that type of faith out in us, that we would walk with you with that faithfulness, unwavering from the temptations of the world, but walking with you and bearing fruit. We pray that you would do this work and that you would open our hearts to your word, that it would have a lasting impact. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm finding that people seem to be a bit more grateful for things than they did a couple years ago. Perhaps you are more grateful than you were two years ago about the availability of toilet paper. (laughs) Or um, being grateful to actually be in a crowded room or having genuine crowd noise on TV as opposed to what's been piped in or maybe maybe you find yourselves grateful for things you never thought you'd be grateful for do you ever find yourself grateful for failure i think we ought to be and i think one of the best times to be grateful for failure is when you're sitting in an airplane when you're flying you ought to be grateful for failure aren't you glad these guys failed Next time you're in a crowded plane next to someone that you hope is going to have good hygiene or small elbows or no desire to talk, take time and be grateful for these images. Be grateful that people failed so horribly that eventually we got to a point where you could fly at a few hundred miles an hour several thousand feet above the earth and have that be somewhat normal. Had these guys never failed, our progress never would have gotten to the point that it is. Or Thomas Edison, for example, whose famous quote I have not failed, I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work when making a light bulb. As much as we have benefited from failure in our lives, it's a bit ironic that we are consumed with trying to find 100% success in our own lives on different things, don't you think? That we, And while 100% may be a bit of an overstatement, think of how fear of failure has kept you from opportunities that would have been really good. Or maybe fear of failure has prevented you from experiencing something that would have been truly spectacular, or in a worst-case scenario, that fear of failure has caused you to back out of an opportunity to speak of the goodness of God and what He has done for you, otherwise known as sharing the gospel. And with that idea of a fear of failure being something that would prevent us from sharing the gospel, I want us to go to Mark 4. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to read the first 20 verses here. Again he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea and on the land, and he was teaching many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell (laughs) along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about, those, about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of the riches... The desires for the things to enter and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil, these are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and a hundredfold. This parable is a lot of things, and if you have the premonition in your mind that I'm going to cover all of them today, you will be sorely disappointed. But among other things, it does a lot. And I just want to point to a few things that it does. It gives us a good picture of Israel's salvific history with God. And how many times God sent his word to the people. And they might keep it for a little while. They might ignore it completely. They might keep it up to a point where things got hard and then abandon it. Or or hear it kind of gladly and then turn to follow the other gods or they might in some cases hear it and bear much fruit. It's also a picture of Jesus' ministry as he's teaching to large crowds, some of whom were people that immediately would hear the word and it would be in one ear and out the other, people who would appreciate Jesus for his power and his miracles but have no desire in them or ability in them to take up their cross and follow him. And others, praise the Lord, who bore fruit 60 fold, 30 fold, 100 fold, and here we are today as fruit of the ministry that's been happening for some 2,000 years. It's a picture of what we as believers are called to today. In this parable, the, the seed is the word, and so we are left to assume that the sower, in this case, in the present circumstance, is Jesus himself, and today as his followers, who are tasked to preach the gospel to all creation. This is a picture of what we are called to do. And while not a command explicitly to share the gospel, this parable is very helpful as we think about what happens when the gospel is shared. This parable is helpful in providing not only a succinct picture of Jesus' ministry and his use of parables, as he uses parables to instruct his followers while at the same time, others don't hear it because of the hardness of their hearts. It is not only a picture of that with the parables, but it is helpful in understanding what happens in the human heart when the word of God is heard by the, its human ears. The parable of the sower gives insight to gospel reception and kingdom advance by answering what happens when the gospel is shared so many times like we will will share the gospel with someone a coworker a loved one or we'll be next to someone when they hear or see a very clear depiction of the gospel and we wonder what's happening in their heart what are they thinking and this parable gives us such a great picture of that and the first thing we see of what happens when the gospel is shared is we see the breadth of how the gospel is shared that it is broad I would venture to say that of all the gardeners in this room, and I know there are many, that none of you plant your tomatoes like this sower does. None of you, I I think most of you who garden in this room have never touched a seed, at least in the last 10 years. You go buy the plant and then stick it in the ground. You buy it already in the good soil. But this sower goes around with his tomato seeds, just throwing them. And this is in a setting where there's... It's a rural setting. These are country folk. Many of whom were probably in some sort of sustenance farming where they would plant seeds for that year's food and next year's seed. And Jesus is talking about, here's a sower. He's just going around throwing it. You're not that careless with your seeds. That's wasteful. But Jesus, as this sower gives a very broad spread to the seed. Surely, as a sower, some of this soil would have been prepared. Rocks would have been pulled out. Weeds would have been pulled. But there's some parts that are just, for whatever reason, the thistles just love them. There's too many rocks to bother with, and there's the paths you're walking on. And he seems to be throwing the seed everywhere knowing that some of it will result in nothing. The sower is generous and free, a literal scattering of the seed. He knows not all will accept it, but he also knows that all should hear it. And that's something we need to keep in mind here. Not all will accept, but all need to hear. Just because they won't accept it doesn't mean the truth is not essential for them doesn't mean there's not a need for that truth i hope and pray that we are just as broad in our scattering of the gospel as our savior is he shared the truth of god's kingdom freely knowing that not knowing that the truth was needed no matter what the condition of the the person's heart was. May we do the same. And so it's broad, and it lands on unhealthy soil. It lands on hard soil. It lands on unhealthy soil. All three of these given are types of heart postures that either reject or fail to fully see the value of the gospel. And the first is the path. This is the hardest of hearts. Hearts that are set strongly against the Lord. And there are two factors here. First, that Satan snatches it away before the truth in them has a chance to become anything. These are people that Tim Keller himself could witness to these people. And they just wouldn't hear it. So often we think, well, the result, the problem is that I didn't say it well enough. I messed up. When the truth goes out, when God's word goes out, it accomplishes everything it intends to do. It's not your fault. J.C. Ryle says that the word goes out to these people and it has no more effect than water on a stone. The second factor is that the not just that the ravens are sent, but that the dirt is so hard the seed can't get in anywhere. It just sits on top like it would sit on a sidewalk. And before we go to the others, it's important to note, and I know I'm being brief here, but it's important to note that, only, that Satan is only mentioned with the path. And there are so many times when believers are looking so hard for spiritual warfare that it's behind every bush and in every nook and cranny. And I'm a firm believer that spiritual warfare is real and we, we interact with it as believers on a daily basis, and many times in ways we don't even realize. But when we look at the other two types of unhealthy soil, what we are going to see is that it's issues of the flesh and worldly desires. And we cannot discount that, especially when we look at our own selves and how we receive the word of God and how we interact with the gospel. That the pull of the flesh, the pull of worldly desires is very strong and needs to be dealt with appropriately. And so we get to the rocks. And while all of these soils are sad to watch, this one breaks my heart personally the most. These are people who hear the word. They receive it gladly. Oh, that is so good. I love a good sermon. Oh, man, that's great. And there is no growth because there's no root. So the moment any tribulation comes, they bail. And they might be people who come over and over and over again to hear the word. They take gladness in it. That was a good message. That meant a lot to me. That, that touched me today. And there's an appearance of growth, but they cannot handle tribulation. And some of the biggest churches in our country are full of rocky soil. Jesus will make your life so good. Jesus will just complete you with all the warm fuzzies you can imagine. You can have your best life now if you just name and claim all the promises. And they mention nothing of us sharing in the sufferings of Christ. They mention nothing of the danger of sin. They mention nothing of Christ being glorified and us being blessed as we are persecuted for His name's sake. I don't feel comfortable saying that all are like this, but certainly in some cases, it is people who are truly excited about Jesus until Jesus became too costly for them. Not willing or able to persevere, they follow Jesus until it is difficult. It is a partial trust of Jesus, but not faith. It is an appreciation or a spectatorship of our Savior, but not faith. While not knowing all the causes of rocks or to what degree rocks are preventable in the soil, I can't get my eyes off the phrase, they had no root in themselves. And even as Jesus told the parable in the first section of this passage, it is emphasized over and over again in the rocky soil that they have no root, they have no root, they have no root. And for us who are of good soil, this should just beg and plead and drive us to discipleship. That we would be helping each other get rid of places where rocks would drive us away from Christ at the moment of tribulation. That a fear of what the world can bring would remove us from faithfulness in Christ. We need each other so much. And then we get to the thorns, the final unhealthy soil. And similar to the rocks, there is a hearing and a response to the word. There is a momentary growth. But instead of of the fear being that of tribulation, it is a deceitfulness of the riches and desires of the world. And they choke out the word. There are many who would come to Christ except for what they would have to give up to follow him. They're worried they will miss out on wealth and approval and pleasure and acceptance and success and more. If I told you that I have a neighbor who has a six-foot-tall flowering plant in his backyard that he's put little to no effort into growing, you might be amazed. If I told you he has a musk thistle, you would share in my displeasure. For anyone, I don't put a ton of effort into my lawn, but for anyone who puts any level of effort into their lawn, there's a point every spring where you get really frustrated because you're waiting for your grass to grow up and and there's what we'll call biodiversity in your yard <laughs> and the things other than grass grow really well really quickly here's this is a great picture in weeds of the deceitfulness of the riches of the world it's flashy it grows quickly sometimes it has bright colors and it is worth nothing in the end. And so many times, we're like, we're the grass wishing we were the dandelion. I got mowed yesterday, and he's two feet tall already. Look at the flowers. Look how many friends he has. And it looks like success, and it looks like pleasure, and it looks like beauty. But it is worthless. Finally, we get to the good soil. This is the good stuff. This is what we celebrate. This is the fruit of a changed heart. The seed lands, and what looked like just dirt has become a bountiful crop, producing more and more and more of the wheat, more and more and more of the good stuff. It's an acceptance and belief. The others hear, but the good soil accepts it. This is true. This is what Jesus is talking about. You have received the secret of the kingdom of God. Then later we'll see that uh, one of the other quiet conversations that Jesus has with them, that that you have received the truth that Jesus is the Christ. That, That the kingdom of God Is greater than anything this world has to offer that Jesus is worthy that my life can be made new that my sins can be forgiven that I can grow that I can be a new creation that I can have freedom from condemnation they receive the truth they know that works do not equate salvation that they do not earn salvation they know that if a person believes that God is the creator, that sin is an eternal problem, and Jesus is the solution to that sin. They, they know that Jesus left his throne to come and die, was resurrected, and through repentance of sin, they can not only be forgiven, but have a dw- become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, have their lives changed to much greater and deeper degree than any other belief or self-help could ever produce. And we need to point out the varying levels of fruitfulness. There's no distinguishing point of the hundredfold is clearly better than the thirtyfold. The point is that you become fruitful. Whether it's thirty or sixty or a hundred, that you become fruitful. And the emphasis is on the fruitfulness and to rejoice in your fruit, the fruit of repentance the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that this would be fruit of your life, that there would be fruit of righteousness, and especially that there would be fruit of reproducing disciples. If you're a parent, that the desire of your heart as a parent would be that your child would bear the fruit of the gospel. That you would have the pleasure of seeing your child trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That you as a neighbor would have the opportunity to share the gospel with your neighbors and with your friends and your coworkers. That through the giving of your tithes, that Jesus would reproduce that into new churches and scripture in languages that it hasn't yet been translated into, that every tribe, tongue, and nation would one day be gathered around the throne praising the name of Jesus together in unison. The sower is successful. Listen to this. As we think about, like, I need 100% success rate, everyone I witness to should get saved. The sower is successful when the seed hits the ground. Did you hear that? The sower is successful when the seed hits the ground. In terms of success, as we often measure it, this sower's batting 250. About average, not great. Failing 75% of the time will get you a great career in the major leagues. Why don't we view it that way as we seek to spread the seed of the gospel? Oh, I screwed up. They didn't accept Christ. No, you're normal. You're like Jesus. Not everyone he told about the kingdom of God entered the kingdom of God. He's talking to the crowd saying, hey, most of you are on a pretty wide road leading to destruction, but a few of you are on the narrow path leading to life. We need to see clearly that the problem is not in the seed he is sowing, but the soil that's receiving the seed. Our job is to scatter the seed. So that's, that's a brief picture of what, is hap- what happens when the seed is shared. So what happens when the gospel is heard? What happens when the gospel is heard? And some of this is overlapping. But we need to look first. What happens when the gospel is heard by us? And it is so easy to assume. I'm at church. I showed up. I put on better clothes than I do when I work from home. Uh, So clearly I got my life together. We need to realize that that all four soils could be present in this room. J.C. Ryle hits us real hard. And when writing about all four soils, he points to it being in the churches. And I'm going to read about the rocky places. Those who hear the word gladly grow a little bit, but have no root in themselves, and at the first sign of tribulation, they bail. These are people on whom preaching produces temporary impressions, but no deep lasting and abiding effect. They take pleasure in the hearing of sermons in which truth is faithfully displayed. They can speak with apparent joy and enthusiasm about the sweetness of the gospel and the happiness with which they experience listening to it. They can be moved to tears by the appeals of preachers and talk with apparent earnestness of their own inner conflicts, hopes, struggles, desires, and fears. But unhappily, there is no stability about their religion. Since they have no root, they last only a short time. There is no real work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Their impressions are like Jonah's gourd, which came up in a night and perished in a night. They fade as rapidly as they grow. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they fall away. Their goodness proves as the morning mist, like the early dew as it disappears. Their religion is no more life than it is cut flower. It has no root and soon withers away. There are many in every congregation which hears the gospel who are just this state of soul. They are, not care, they, they are not careless and inattentive hearers like many around them they are, and are therefore tempted to think well of their own condition. They feel the pleasure of preaching to which they listen and, are there, and therefore flatter themselves that they must have grace in their hearts. And yet they are thoroughly deceived. Old things have not passed away. There is no real work of conversion in their inner being. With, their, with all their feelings and affections and joys and hopes and desires, they are actually on the high road to destruction. May we take very close care of our own hearts. May we be very careful to weed out the temptations of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. May we be alarmed at the easiness with which we set the bible on a shelf for a week or a month at a time if you are in this room you're watching online if wherever you are take stock evaluate your heart Have you been doing the same roundabout in your faith for a very long time? I remember years ago at a previous ministry talking to a gentleman and his wife about membership at our church and hearing their testimonies. And they had kids in the youth group. By all appearances, they had been walking with Christ forever. This guy grew up in a good church with parents who loved the Lord. And he was, he was in his 40s. And I said, well, tell me your testimony. He goes, I came to Christ five years ago. A man in his 40s growing up in a family that believed in the Lord in a church that preached the gospel. And so I just said, well, tell me about that. He goes, yeah, I, I realized that I had never repented of my sin. And I came to Christ five years ago. And I said, what happens when you tell people in the community about that. He goes, they don't believe me. They all tell me I've been saved a long time, but I know I've been saved for five years. And I asked his wife, well, what, what difference have you seen in the last five years? And it was like she just started reading the fruit of the Spirit. If you constantly find yourself attracted to church and you're not repenting of your sin, you could be in the rocks or in the thorns. If you find yourself kind of drawn to Christ and Christian community, and there are just hard stops on what you'll do for Christ, then you are in the thorns and the rocks. He is either Lord of your life or a stranger. There's no middle ground. And so let's stop pretending that there is. What we need to do is follow Jesus' instruction at the end of his parable. For those who have ears, let him hear. Let us listen to and be hungry for and consume the word of God. Maybe you're concerned that you, you, oh, my soil and my heart might not be the healthiest. Then seek the Lord, weed out those things that are more appealing than walking with Christ. Read, listen to the Word. Watch the Jesus film. Find someone else to do these things with. Consume the Word of God. Crave it. Discipline yourself for what is good and nurturing. And for a while, it may feel like you're forcing yourself to eat kale. But I assure you, there is benefit. And also, as we look at what happens when the gospel is heard by us, know who you are in this parable. And you really have two different roles in this parable. I pray that you are, first of all, the good soil, where the seed falls and you bear fruit. Like, wow, look what God is doing in and through me. This is all the Lord. This is the, the Lord gets the credit for all of this. And then, know that you are the, the sower. And here's where we make that, that transition. I don't know if last time you ate fruit... But when you ate fruit the last time, you either, you did one of three things. You ate seeds, you spit seeds out, or you ate around seeds. I went strawberry picking with my family this weekend. Great time. I also did some strawberry sampling. Even better time. And the weirdest thing about strawberries, no matter what shape they are, ripeness they are, they're completely covered in seeds. If you are fruit of the gospel I heard this from a wise theologian this week if you are fruit of the gospel you have seeds in you and you need to plant them. Having come to faith in Christ means you are fruit and you have seeds. So that's what happens when the gospel is heard by us. We get filled with seeds and then what happens when it's heard through us? First of all before we share, let us pray. Prayer is needed. The, para, the, the, the seeds on the path where Satan sends to immediately snatch the word should drive us to prayer. The pressures of the world and the flesh should drive us to prayer. That we would pray for ourselves. That we would have fruit. That we would be fruitful. That we would have the boldness. Remember Paul, asked as one of his prayer requests, would you pray for me that I'd be bold enough to share? If the Apostle Paul needs prayer for boldness to share, I'm gonna guess you might too. I know I certainly do. So let's be praying for ourselves and for each other, and let us pray for everyone who hears the gospel through us. Lord, would you guard their hearts? Would you protect them? Would you let them see the supreme and surpassing value of Christ? That nothing in this world would look appealing other than Christ. Would you prevent Satan from snatching the word of truth from their hearts? So when the gospel goes through us, it should be saturated in prayer and it ought to be broad. How many times have we withheld, and I, I'm very much including myself in this, have we withheld sharing the gospel from someone because there's no chance they'd believe? They're not, they're not going to believe Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that? Just imagine how many fewer Christians there'd be in the world if we only shared with those we were confident would believe. I'm just going to give a little plug. This October, there's going to be a Will Graham celebration. It's going to look a lot like what his grandpa Billy Graham used to do. It's going to be over the first weekend in October. There's going to have a ton of free concerts, great bands coming in. Will Graham will share the gospel, each of them, some geared at kids, some geared at students, some geared at just kind of open to everyone. Take a friend and be praying now for who you're going to take. Take a friend, let them hear the gospel, and then go grab something to eat afterwards and talk to them about it. Let, let a lot of the heavy lifting be done, but then be faithful in following up and helping them understand the gospel. This ought to be broad. Let us share as liberally and freely as one commentator. Let us be promiscuous with the gospel as the sower was with the seed. Let us redefine success. That we would count ourselves as successful not just when a seed lands on good soil, but when a seed is shared. I don't know how many of you picked up that little red book on evangelism we had out when we went through Jonah a few months ago. But he shares a story at the end of it Mac Jones does about he had a, a Muslim taxi driver in New York, and the taxi driver started talking about how God created everything and and he's trying to find a way to share the gospel with him and he He feels himself kind of messing up and missing opportunities and finally, at the end he because uh, the Muslim said oh we're we're the same, except for Jesus and he goes. And then Mac at the end, as he's getting his stuff out of the cab and paying the cabbie, he goes, look, I, we're, we're not really the same. Because as you said, your God keeps a record of wrongs, and you have to hope your record of rights cancels out your record of wrongs. But through Jesus, my record of wrongs has been erased. We're not the same. And they, they had a very pleasant farewell, and the cab driver drove off. And he realized, yeah, boy, I maybe, maybe I could have done it better Maybe I could have demanded a response. But he heard the truth. The truth was put on the soil of his heart. And that's a success. And finally, as we think of it going through us, let us not discount the sovereignty of God. That driver, that cab driver's name was Abraham. And only God knows what has happened on, on his heart through that seed of truth. As you share, the pressure is not on you. There's no pressure. It is the sovereignty of God. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians: I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. God gave it growth. God brings the growth. I had a neighbor in Orange City whose we had a walnut tree that he despised. because it got walnuts in his yard. I kind of chuckled about that. Uh, Not my best moment. (laughs) One year, his grandson, one of his grandsons, asked him to plant one of the walnuts. And so here's what he did. Put it in the freezer over the winter because they have to freeze in order to germinate the next year. And then that spring, he tossed it in his garden. He didn't even bury it, he just tossed it in his garden, We'll see if it grows. Hopefully it doesn't because I like my garden. He could have tossed it to the gravel path in the alley and it would have, nothing would have happened. No root would have formed. He could have tossed it into his lawn where it would have just been mowed once or twice a week. He tossed it to his garden where there was good soil and just left it. That was the fastest growing walnut tree you can imagine. He one day... And he told me about it. He goes, I'm just going to let it go. I told my grandson I'd throw it out there. One day he said, I never imagined that thing would grow like that. I never imagined it'd get that tall that quick. And and then he was like inconvenienced because he's like, I either have to like get a chainsaw and cut down this tree and greatly disappoint my grandson or sacrifice a portion of my garden. But this is what the gospel does. We cast it out, and when it lands on that good soil, God does amazing things. And know that if you're here, and this is my prayer for all of us, that we are that good soil, that God will do amazing things through us, that he will bring fruitfulness as we follow him. So let us follow him together. Let's pray. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, you have redeemed us. You have made this possible through Christ. You have given us the secret of the kingdom. Lord, may we be generous with it. May we share abundantly of that secret. And may you, in your sovereignty and your power, use that to change lives and to continue to change us.